If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. Very glad to have you with us. And um, we uh, just want you to know that we always have a place here for you. So uh, make yourself at home. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to first, the book of First Chronicles. We are making our way through these books of the Bible, started in Genesis, and we are peeking in every book of the Bible called Route 66. There are 66 books in the Bible, and now we have come to Chronicles, and we are taking little peeks into these books um, one week at a time. No way that we can cover all of it, but we can at least get a view. And the view is this. We are, we, we've, uh, we're navigating our way through this study uh, with a map which is an acronym for Memento, Attraction, and Person of Jesus. So, uh, you know, when you go on a trip, you pick up things along the way to remember your trip by. And this is the thing that you'll be able to bring into your life, to confess over your life, to meditate on for the week, um, to talk about. And then uh, the attraction is one of the must-sees of this book, that the place that we must go to, a place of importance in this book, and then obviously the person of Jesus, because this entire book is truly about Him. And uh, He is the Word. Now, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, <clears throat> we are... Um, like I said, come to First Chronicles, but I just want to say next week, let's make a real good showing for my dad, Pastor John, who will be here. Um, and uh, how many of you have never heard my dad preach before? I'm like, let me see your hands. Wow. Okay. Wow. Oh, you, you never, there's, so you're going to be, you're really in for a treat. All right. You'll be blessed. Um, he does live up to our last name. So just be ready for that. All right. Uh, his, his heroes are guys like R.W. Schambach and, uh, you know, the hollering preachers. Great, great, great preacher and Bible t- teacher as well. Uh, and then Pastor Charles Neiman. Also, you saw him on there who pastors a great church in El Paso, Abundant Living Faith Center, and also is uh, world-renowned re- with his ministry and travels all over and, and ministers in, in great places. And we're connected to him, and then he's going to come and be with us on September the 14th, uh, Sunday night at 7 o'clock. So be here for that. You're going to be really blessed. And then the next day, Christ for the Nations is going to be treated because he's going to speak to the student body the next day. Uh, so you guys are going to like that a lot. Have you guys ever heard Charles Neiman? Uh, you're about to. It's going to be really good. So, uh, And that will be his first time there, actually. So anyway, we must move into First Chronicles. But I want to just give you a little bit of uh, history about this book. It's believed that Ezra, the priest, wrote it. Scholars believe that he wrote it. And so we're coming from a priestly perspective rather than the prophet's perspective in 2 Samuel as well as 1 and 2 Kings. Um, There are a lot of overlapping stories in Chronicles that uh, go along with 2 Samuel and Kings. But then there are some other details uh, especially in First Chronicles, like th- things like genealogies and some of the stories of the kings, some of the stories of David are all found all throughout here. But um, the genealogies in First Chronicles have to do almost solely with the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember, Israel was split into two kingdoms um, right after the reign of Solomon. 
and uh, ten tribes were in the northern kingdom known as Israel, where their capital city was Samaria, and then the southern kingdom was made up of two tribes, which eventually became three, uh, and the capital was Judah. And this is where David was, um, and this is where a lot of the great kings actually uh, were in the southern kingdom in Judah. So that's why Chronicles takes us through the first nine chapters uh, helping us understand the genealogies. Um, and it was really for the nation of Israel as they came out of Babylonian captivity that they could refer to Chronicles and then find themselves again, find their identity again, remember who they are as a people. Um, and then, and then the, the next few chapters, like 10 through 20, we see David's ascent to the throne as he continues to conquer lands, especially the filthy Philistines. And, uh, and then uh, we see his reign after that, along verse, uh, chapter 21 on to verse 20, uh, chapter, sorry, 29, where um, then, and we get into the details of David's preparations for building the house of God. He had a desire to build a house for God. God would not allow David to do this, even though he was honored by it and moved by it, but he would not allow David to do it because David had too much blood on his hands through much warfare. But he said, your son Solomon will be the one who do it. He will be a son of peace. Solomon actually means peace. It's akin to shalom. Shalom. Solomon, peace. And so he would be the one that God instructed David to build the house. But up until that point, David needed to make preparations. So he gathered gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and all the things that would be necessary for the construction of the house. He said it must be magnificent. It is to be famous in all the earth. He wanted to do something marvelous for God. And we know God's return to David in that his response into that was, you want to build me a house, David? I'm going to build you a house. And that house will be established forever. Marvelous, marvelous story. And David's heart for God was seen in his heart for God's house. And all the things that he did concerning the house, all the energy and all the time and, that he poured into it, he even said that the Spirit, by the Spirit, he was able to construct, uh, he was actually laid out the architectural plans for the house of God and then showed them to Solomon. He drew them as the Spirit showed him how to do it. David was a marvelous man. He also set up the whole worship team, Kenaniah being the head worship leader, and all of these musicians. And he was such a craftsman and, such, and so creative in the music and arts that David actually constructed instruments, built instruments, and then taught men how to play those instruments. And so he set up singers to be there in the house of God from morning till night, always singing praise to God, always giving thanks to his name. There would always be music. There would always be singing in the house and, uh, and, and all of these skilled musicians, skilled, that's the key. You know, it's good to have a heart for worship, but it's better to have a heart and a skill for worship. <laughs> I just have to say, I've seen both. Skill is much better. Uh, well, you know, you remember, you remember back in the day when we used to have special music in church, right? And it was like, it was almost like the... The, uh, the American Idol auditions, right? That's what I kind of compare it to, right? Because most people who thought they could sing that really couldn't took that as their opportunity to display their want-to talent, right? And so either they would forget the words or they would have a lot of trouble, and then you could hear people out in the crowd trying to encourage them. Bless her, Jesus. Help her, Lord. 
hallelujah anyway. Right? Those are the kind of things I, I grew up hearing. Like, nobody was just honest enough to say, you're terrible. Please never do this again. You're robbing all of us of good time on the earth. Please, stop it or get training. Do something. This is not the place to train in front of us. All right? Okay. So, you know, years of enduring that, there's still a little bit of, uh, um, well, leftover residual angst about it. I don't even remember where I was now. Okay, so, oh, yeah, skilled. Skill is the key. Skilled musicians. So, and, and then what was so cool is that David made sure that the skilled musician also had a student. There was a teacher and a student with everyone. Because this is how the kingdom of God works. Really, in every ministry, our whole lives are about reproducing. Are about reproducing ourselves. It was the plan from the very beginning, be fruitful and multiply. That's still the, that's the heart of the kingdom of God, to be fruitful and multiply, bring many sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. Amen. And that you always train others in what God has gifted you in. You, you help others come up as well. So, I mean, just a lot of marvelous things. Uh, he, he, he established rank and order uh, militarily as well as the priesthood under the, under the Levites. All the construction crew for the building and, uh, of course, the music side of it. Uh, he had all of this set up for Solomon to get the house of God built. David reigned in Hebron seven years and then in Jerusalem 33 years. And they call David to this day the great king. When you read, especially through First Chronicles, you really see why. He's called the great king and what separates him from so many others. But we're going to go to chapter 13. I want us to go to the attraction for a moment today. We usually start off with the memento, but I'm going to save that for the last. And this is a story that we must look at. It is a negative story, but there's a lot of things to learn from it. Um, I, I've contemplated, you know, doing some other ones, but I kept coming back to chapter 13 and this story. And then the Lord began to show me some things uh, for all of you here today. Let's go to verse 1. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands, that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Now, it's talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, where God lived in that Ark. His presence was there, and, um, and everywhere the children of Israel would go, they would take the presence of God with them in this Ark, all right? For some time it had not been with them, now David's wanting to get it back there. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right, in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from uh, uh, Shihor in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath Jerim. That's my best attempt, all right? So please, if you know better, just uh, forgive me. And David and all the all Israel went up to uh, Baalah to Kirjath Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of the Lord who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio, or Ahio, drove the cart. Then David and all the Israel 
played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came to Kidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And, a and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, yeah, rightfully so, right? Saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? Let's all say that line together. How can I bring the ark of God to me? All right, verse 13. So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but took it aside in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. God, I want to say thank you, my Father, for this opportunity to declare your word. Thank you for the hearers here today that this word, Lord, would be heard, and this word would be, be believed and received that this word would cause increase in your people's lives, in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus to be here today. Lord, we're here to be changed by you. We honor your word, and we receive it with thanksgiving and gladness in our hearts today because we know that it is life to those who find it and health to all of their flesh. In Jesus' name. Amen. Interesting story, huh? David's intention is good here. I, I feel like it's good. He's, he's conquered all of his enemies, and he's got peace all around. Now he's thinking about the Lord. He's thinking about that ark and what that ark means, meaning the, the presence of the Lord and how important it is to have it in their midst. And so he says, and, and the thing about this story that I want us to notice today is that some subtle things that you might overlook that are very important for us to look at and to observe. And one of those things is where David consulted the captains of thousands and hundreds, and then he said to the people, let's look at verse 2 again for just a moment. If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, That's a dangerous, dangerous way to seek counsel. People first and then God. All right? If it seems good to you, oh yeah, and the Lord, of course. Because this had not been David's habit before that. When David would go do big things, especially going to war against the Philistines, the Scripture taught us over and over he always inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue them? Should I do this? What do you want me to do, Lord? We'll do what you want. But here, he's just kind of talking, all right? And like I said, the intention is good, but the, what, what I used to have a friend that used to say, the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, of course, I think maybe that's an old phrase, but he used to love to say that. Um, but just because it seems good doesn't necessarily mean it is good. And we all need to understand, how many of you lived life long enough and had enough experience in your life 
to know that it's a lot better to seek the Lord first, especially before making major decisions in your life that we found out later on that, shoot, I'm in this trouble because I didn't talk to the Lord about this. I didn't even know if it was His will. It just seemed like a good thing. This, all, this seemed like it. So David's getting the approval of the people, saying if this seems good to you. And like I said, it, it's, it's a subtlety, but yet it has great consequences to it. Because the Scripture also says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. And that's why we need the Lord. And later on, we would see David would learn from this because then he would speak to Solomon, his son, in Proverbs chapter 3. These are The first three chapters are counsel from David to Solomon. And he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. I got one word, Solomon. Uzzah. Trust in the Lord. He will direct your path. I don't care how good it seems. Talk to God first. All right, so, so then the very next thing that we see is that all the people said that it seemed like a good thing. Now, David is speaking before a mass of people. And sometimes the majority can also be tricking too. That just because the majority, even the majority thinks it's good does not necessarily mean it is good. Might be the popular vote, but does not mean it's the right vote. Amen. So, because here's the thing. When it comes to the presence of God, especially when it came to the ark of God, God laid out conditions for how it was to be treated and how it was to be carried. And the third thing that we see here was that they carried this ark on a cart. All right? Now, they did put it on a new cart. That was kind of them. But yet it was still the wrong way because the instructions from God to Moses were that the priests would carry the ark on their shoulders. So they put it on an ark to be carried in a way that they deemed okay, but God never gave instruction about. And so poor Uzzah and Ahio are sitting on this ark with this time bomb, if, as it were. And Uzzah, who's... who's Obviously a good guy. The ox stumbles, and he reaches up to secure the ark and drops dead. You think, ah, God, that seems a little bit harsh. Not if, you're, not if you're looking at it from his perspective. Because none of this is being done according to his will, according to his counsel, according to his way. People are just thinking. See, that's the, that's the danger about our relationship with, with, God, with men when they're in their perspective of God, I should say. Because there's lots of people who feel like, and, and, and Oprah helps us so much. She just helps us so much in this. That we, as long as you're sincere and as long as you don't hurt anybody, you're going to be okay. That all sounds all right, but it ain't okay. As long as you're really sincere and, you know, you try to be charitable and philanthropic and you, you, know, you look after other people, then, then there's no way that you're in, that in the end that you would, you would find yourself in eternal destruction. Because, I mean, God sees. He's just. I mean, he's, he, he wouldn't do that. Well, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. But David says, how can I get the ark of God to me? How can I get the presence of God to me? And people are are through human effort. By the way, Uzzah means human strength. 
trying to get the presence of God to me through human effort, through human thinking, through trying to perform right somehow, thinking that that's what God is looking for and that's not what He's looking for. We just need to come to the place where we sum it up that Jesus is the one we really need and we depend on who performed perfectly for God, who became like us, who was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin so that we can look to Him, the one God provided for us, and believe on Jesus, that He died for our sins, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day from the dead. And in so doing, that's how we get the ark, if you will, or the presence of God to come and dwell in us. No man can do it in his own strength, by his own mantra, by his own thinking, by his own denomination. It has to come by simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, let me just say this to you today. That's way easier, isn't it? And that's the beauty of the gospel. It really is good news. It's good news. It's good news. We hear good news and we wait for the other shoe to drop. Like, okay, what's the catch? What's the catch on this? And I've talked to you about this many times, but I'm going to continue to talk about this. We've become jaded about good things. We become jaded about good news. So we come up with these phrases, all good things must come to an end. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Right? I like to say this. If it sounds too good to be true, you've probably just heard the gospel. Because it's that simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and all your household will be saved. Wow! And this is what happened to Obed-Edom. They brought it over to his house. Oh, oh, cool. And what happened? The Lord started blessing him and all of his house. Woo! He wasn't trying to do anything except just have the presence of God in his place, just enjoying his presence, and God was blessing him. This is the lesson we can learn today. Stop trying for God. Believe God. Meet him on his terms. Just meet him on his terms. Believe him. Trust him. Open your life to him and welcome his presence. David did learn the lesson. Later on, he did it right. He, he started thinking about this after he got over his anger and his fear and started thinking, I didn't do this right in the first place because I didn't consult God. A little later on, they did march the Ark of the Covenant after three months being in Obed-Edom's house into Jerusalem on the shoulders of the priests and had a great celebration of the Ark coming into Jerusalem. We must go to the next place for a moment. Are you guys okay? I do see the time. First Chronicles 17. I'm going to look at the person of Jesus for a moment. And it shall be, verse 11, and it shall be, First Chronicles 17, 11, and it shall be when your days are fulfilled. This is Nathan speaking to David on behalf of God. This is when David said, I want to build a house for God. Okay, this is God's response to him. And verse 11, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, you who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. Now, God is speaking of David's son, Solomon, here. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you, speaking of Saul. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom 
forever, and his throne shall be established forever. That's a lot to be said about Solomon, isn't it? How is that going to happen if Solomon dies? How is his throne going to be established forever? How is all that going to happen? Well, Solomon is, is uh, a type here, a foreshadowing of God's ultimate plan. Let me just say this, and you might want to write this down. Jesus Christ is the essence of every promise made by God. All right? God is talking about Solomon on one level, but he's really talking about his son here. I will be his father and he will be my son. And we see the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 actually say this very thing in verse 5. It opens up talking to us about God at various times and in various ways spoken time past by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And then he begins to talk about what separates the son from everybody else, what separates Jesus even from the angels. And he gets to verse 5 It says, For to which of the angels did he ever say? You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So we see that God was really talking about Jesus here. I will be a father, and he will be a son to me. Hallelujah. Just so you can know that every promise that was made, Jesus is there. He's the substance of that promise. He's the surety of that promise. And in Corinthians, Paul later said, all the promises of God are in Christ. Yes and amen. Maybe at one time those promises were iffy as long as you did the right thing. But now in Jesus, they are always yes. Wow, Jesus ensured all of them would come to us. And we received them simply by faith in him. That's so good. Now look at Galatians for a moment. We see just another place where Paul does this. Um, uh, 3.16, Galatians 3. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, and then Paul says, who is Christ? Well, that's not actually what God was talking about, or at least we think on the surface. When you look over in Genesis, he's talking about Isaac in your seed. In Isaac, this is going to happen. But Paul teaches us, no, yet again, God is talking about his son, he's talking about Jesus here. Isaac is just a type of Jesus, that is, your seed. He would inherit the earth. Think about this for a moment. Jesus inherited the earth by his sacrifice for us. Not just a select few. Jesus earned every soul of man. He earned it. He earned it. Us going to heaven is no reward of anything we've done. Us going to heaven is Jesus' reward for what he did for us. Hallelujah. That's why we want to help Jesus get as much of his reward as possible. That's why we're here as the church, to bring many sons and daughters, to bring many rewards to Jesus. Hallelujah. So good. Okay. And lastly, I have to keep moving forward. Lastly, we got to go to the memento for just a moment. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, right after they brought the ark in the right way on the shoulders of the priests and had a great celebration, David hands this psalm over to Asaph and has him sing it before the people. And it's a beautiful psalm. You ought to just read chapter 16. I mean, it's just marvelous. But we get to verse 34, and this verse says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures 
forever. I want this verse to be the cry of your heart this week, the meditation of your mind. Let this get in your lips. Let this maybe even become a song to you. Let it just be your meditation. Are you hearing me? This week, in every situation, whether you find yourself in a good situation or a challenging situation, this is still the theme of our life. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. I love just the simplicity and the profoundness of this. Think about it, for He is good. Okay, so that means whatever situation I come into in, in this life and it's not good, then I can know that's not God because God is good. So I'm going to go after what He has for me and understand that this has to turn around because He is good. And He is able to make every situation, everything turn for the good. And His mercy endures forever, which means He's just chosen not to account your sins against you. He just chose to forgive you of all of them so that if and possibly when you fail, you still have hope. His mercy endures forever. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. This became the cry of Israel. It became this, just this phrase right here. When Solomon dedicated the temple, the Scripture says that they offered up sacrifices and the fire came down from heaven and licked up the sacrifice and they said, praise the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Another time, they all began to chant this, this, these, these words or sing this song and the Scripture says that the glory of the Lord came down into the house of God in a thick cloud, so much so that the priests couldn't even do what they were supposed to be doing. Because they said, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. It's that thing that was spoken in Psalm 34, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Magnify. It reminds me of my friend Brandon Clark, Pastor Brandon Clark out in West Texas. I took him to go deer hunting for his first experience. And... Um, because he heard me tell all the, the fun stories about it. He said, I want to do that. You make it sound exciting. I said, all right, we'll come. So I set him in his deer blind, and, and, uh, and the, the little, well, it's not really hunting. We harvest deer. We, we, we bait them to come under this feeder, and then we kill them dead. All right, I, just, I have to say it's pretty easy, but, uh, but we do eat it. So, um, And, man, is it good. So... I'm, I'm over my blind, and I don't know, maybe an hour goes by, and I finally hear a gunshot. And so I'm like, all right, hopefully you hit it. And uh, so after the hunt was over, I made my way over to Brent, because I told him, I said, just stay where you are, and I'll come, I'll come get you. So I make my way over there, and I can hear him laughing. He's so excited, right? And so I finally get through the brush and come out in the open there, and there he is looking over his deer. And uh, he's like, come here, come here, look at this. Look at this. So I walk over, and I look at this deer, and it's the smallest little thing. I'm, oh, maybe I shouldn't tell this story. <laughs> My father-in-law, if he would have seen it, he would have said, you knocked the spots off of that one. <laughs> and he goes, isn't that great? I said, is this all that came in? And I picked the, I'm, I'm not kidding, picked the, deer, the whole deer up like this. Hold on, like, well, it'll be tender at least. Uh, and he goes, well, it looked big in the scope. 
I said, Brandon, everything looks bigger in the scope, man. Lesson learned. Magnify the Lord with me. Make him the biggest thing in your scope. And when you praise him, I will give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Praise puts that, that scope on Jesus. Hallelujah. Put your perspective on him. And he becomes the largest thing in your life at that moment. And everything else begins to grow dim. And then you realize what life is really all about. And that this too shall pass. But he is forever. And then it became a battle cry, a war cry, through a king named Jehoshaphat as they were at war. And God said, you're not going to go to war like you usually do. You're going to put the choir out front this time. And they're going to sing this little song. Like this song got in God even. As it got in the people, it even got in God. He said, I want you to do that, that my favorite song, the one that goes, praise the Lord or give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever so they started singing that song marching right out there with these armies of nations before them swords drawn praise the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever and as they sing and as they marched hallelujah God began to set ambushes among the enemies and they all started turning their swords on each other and Israel watched as they sang their enemies fall before them through a song that went, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Come on, let's say that. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endure. Come on, let's stand up and sing it. Let's declare it today or say it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Again, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever and ever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness, that your goodness never ends. Your goodness never fails. Your mercy never ceases. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, that with you there is always hope. There is always strength. There is always goodness. There is always blessing, Lord. There is always victory to those who will look to you. And we, by faith, bless you today. We praise you. We will not let our tongues be silent, but we will magnify our God. We will glorify you even in the troubled times, even in the darkness. Your word can become songs in the night, songs of deliverance. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've seated us there with Christ Jesus so that we can know that we are rested in Him. We have rest in Him. Rest in reigning. Lord, I don't know what everybody here is going through today, but you do. And you have an answer and you have help for them right now. I pray, God, that those who came in discouraged would leave full of courage today. Encouraged. Those who came in disappointed, Lord, would be renewed in hope today. Those who came in sick, diseased, would be healed in Jesus' name. Those, Lord, hallelujah, who have strained in their relationships, their marriages, maybe with the, amongst co-workers or children, God, I pray for healing there and restoration in there. Peace in their relationships. Those who came in with restless minds would have the peace of God now rest upon them that passes all understanding. Those who came in, Lord, today, who are astray, today, God, 
today they would come back to your open arms, Father, knowing that you don't condemn them, you love them. Thank you for your precious gospel. Thank you for that great news that came to our ears that changed everything for us, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And He was buried and rose the third day according to the Scriptures. And whoever believes on Him will receive everlasting life. I bless everyone here today. And I pray that great grace and peace will be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11, and Wednesday evenings at 7, and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings, and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.